Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. Today is interview day. I don't have many of these anymore, or for the time being, and my friend Mike Robbins is back, and he has a book out called Bring Your Whole Self to Work. I've interviewed Mike before on the show, and today we're talking about what does he mean by whole self? And why are we bringing our whole self? We also talk about pressure and what that means. And we talk a lot about vulnerability, which as you know, is one of my favorite things to talk about, overcoming obstacles. And then he says some fascinating stuff about recognition and the difference between that and appreciation. So I'm so excited for you to listen to this fun conversation that I had with my friend, Mike, and I will circle back afterwards. Thank you so much for listening. Mike Robbins. Hello and welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me back. Glad to be here. So I'm excited. You have a new book that you launched this week. Can you share everybody what the title is? It's called Bring Your Whole Self to Work. And the subtitle is How Vulnerability Unlocks Creativity, Connection and Performance. So why your whole self? Well, it's a good question. You know, I um, a couple years ago, I was talking to a coach of mine and we were just talking about some different aspects of my work and my business. And, you know, and I've been 17 years I've been speaking and I've been coaching and I've and and most of the work that I do is in the corporate world. So big companies bring me in to speak and lead workshops and seminars and all kinds of stuff. And the books that I've written up to this point, my three previous books are all very personal. And so my coach was saying to me, what is it that you really do? What is it you're really focused on? What is it you're really passionate when you go in and talk to these business teams and leaders and like, and I said, well, I just really want to give people permission to be themselves, to bring all of themselves, to bring their whole selves to work. And the both of us just kind of went, oh, like, and we started talking more about that. And it just started the idea of that for has always been kind of at the core of my self and my work. And, uh, over the last few years, I just decided I wanted to then dig deeper into what does that actually mean to me. And I, I actually started my own podcast a couple of years ago called Bring Your Whole Self to Work. And I started interviewing some of the most interesting business leaders and thought leaders and change makers that I know, talking to them about what that actually means to them. And so out of all of that, this new book came to be. So here we are. <laughs> so what does bringing your whole self mean to you? It's funny. I ask that on almost every interview I do. And for me, it's um, it's a an ability to fully show up with everything, the good, the bad, the excitement, the joy, the fear, the doubt, the, all of it, and not feel like I have to or we have to check certain aspects of ourselves at the door when we show up for our work. And look, a lot of us work, you know, people work in offices and for businesses and for companies, but there are a lot of us who work for ourselves or work from home or work for small businesses or nonprofit. There's all different types of ways that we work, especially now the nature of the internet and, you know, working remotely and doing all kinds of different types of work. But can we bring all of that and have our professional lives and our personal lives? Like, yeah, they're going to have some separation and difference, but can we really be ourselves regardless of where we are? 
And what's the downside of bringing your whole self to work? Well, the downside is that, you know, the more we put our heart and soul into what we do, the more we could get our heart broken, the more we could, you know, potentially um, get our feelings hurt, get, you know, disappointed, get uh, rejected. So, I mean, again, when we compartmentalize things, um, I mean, you know this as, as an athlete and as a coach, right? It's like there are times, and I spent a good part of my young life as a baseball player and then played in college and played professionally. It's like there were times I didn't actually bring it all onto the field or leave it all on the field or whatever version, I guess you would say that in swimming, leave it all in the pool or, you know, because, <laughs> because like I, the, at some level I was holding back a little bit because I was scared and, you know, if I really gave it everything that I had and I lost, then I'd have absolutely no excuse. It's just like I just wasn't good enough in that moment or can't, you know what I mean? And so I think in life, there's a tendency where we leave some of it in the tank, right? Like, yeah, maybe we're trying to pace ourselves. But the truth is, if I get really honest with myself, it's like, yeah, if I bring everything, if, I, if I'm all in and it doesn't turn out, I might be crushed and devastated and never be able to recover. So that's part of why I think you know, we hold back in, in certain areas of life. So, you know, there is the downside of, you know, it's just like falling in love with somebody like you might get your heart broken and it might not work out. Well, and I always tell my clients, I go, okay, you know, if you're, if they're pursuing a committed romantic partnership, I'm like, no, you will absolutely have pain and suffering. That is guaranteed. Yes. Right? If you're going to step into a <laughs> loving relationship, you are get your heart broken. If you're going to have children, you are going to get your oh, butt kicked, right? And it's in yes. your heart's going to be mangled. You're going to have sleepless nights and yep. you're going to do all the stuff for them and then they're going to be a senior like my daughter is and be like, "Seriously, mm. mom, I'm out of yeah. here." <laughs> I know. I I yeah, ours we have two girls who are 12 and nine and I'm just you know and friends of ours who've got kids who are a little bit older and heading off to college like yours and graduating it's like I can start to see it now even with my 12 year old as I'm getting some eye rolls and some like dad I'm good stop and I'm like whoa oh my gosh I swear it was like last week she was a toddler and you know that whole phenomenon to realize right yeah whether it's parenting or it's relationships or it's our work when we really put a lot into it I mean I even think you know launching this book which I'm so excited about you and I were talking right before we hit record. It's like, you know, and I've done this before, but it's just like every time I do it, I'm like, oh, my God, what was I thinking? This is awful. Like, it's great and it's terrifying at the same time. And it's like putting all of our energy and passion into a project or into work or into a relationship or something, you know, understanding that part of the process is, you know, we're going to get hurt and disappointed along the way. I mean, people look at I hear this from people a lot and I understand it and have a lot of empathy and compassion for it. People are like, you know, I was really open or I was really vulnerable or I put my heart out. I really and I got, you know, it didn't work out or I got rejected or someone else got promoted and not me or my boss used that against me the next time when in my performance review. And and my response back to all of that is always like, look, I understand, you know, it's hard and I really feel like it's the the best and ultimately I know this sounds a little, you know, however it sounds, kind of the only way I really want to live and work is just to bring it all. And, you know, at the end of it, it's like I think of something that a mentor of mine said to me years ago. He said, Mike, you're living your life as though you're trying to survive it. I said, mm -hmm. yeah. So he said, you have to remember something really important. I said, what's that? He said, nobody ever has. I really like that when I read that in your book about, yeah. you know, trying to survive it, because how often are we just trying to survive it? And we think once we achieve X, then we can finally start living it versus yeah. let's like, no, I think your point is start bringing your whole self right now. 
Exactly. I mean, and really, when you think about it, it's like I think about, I know you've had Brene Brown on your show before, and she, I love her definition of vulnerability. It's right, risk, emotional exposure, and uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions that I hear her ask, and I often ask this to people as well, is like, can you think of anything meaningful or important that you've ever accomplished or experienced in life, personally or professionally, that did not involve risk, emotional exposure, and uncertainty? Mm-hmm. No, there's nothing. If it matters to us, right, as we were talking about, our children, our spouse, our significant others, the work that we do. I mean, look, if we're not um, disappointed or upset sometimes at work or about our work, we probably don't care that much about what we're doing. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like one of the things for me that I learned, someone was asking me this the other day. So, you know, I, I played baseball all those years and got to play in college and then got drafted by the Kansas City Royals out of Stanford. And Signed my pro contract. I went into the minor leagues as you do in baseball and I got injured. I was a pitcher. I tore ligaments in my elbow and tore some cartilage in my shoulder. And three surgeries later, I had to retire. I mean, this was a major, huge deal in my life at that time, right? I got hurt at 23 after three surgeries, finally retired when I was 25. But one of the things through that whole experience, when I went and got a job after baseball in the tech world, this is about 20 years ago, I got a job working in San Francisco. I still live here in the Bay Area. I grew up here working for, you know, internet company during the dot-com boom mm-hmm. time. And it was interesting, but, but after, you know, and then I let, was there about a year and a half and got a job for a startup. Smaller company was supposed to go public. We were all going to get rich. It was going to be <laughs> this great thing, right? I was like, okay, well, I don't really know what I want to do when I grow up, but I'll just go this, ride this tech wave. And if I get rich, great, you know, but it was sort of like the thing that when I got laid off, the dot-com bubble burst, I lost my job and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to really do with my life. One of the things I realized was, one of the things I both loved and hated about baseball was it terrified me in a way. And what I mean by that is that, right, it's like I was so into it. It was so much of my identity and I loved it and I was good at it and I was passionate. But like when I would go out to pitch, even when I was playing professionally, I put so much pressure on myself. Now, this was the sort of dark side of it that I didn't like. The part that was exciting, though, is it meant so much to me. It really, really mattered. I loved that nervousness slash excitement that I had about pitching, about playing. And I remember saying to someone who I was talking to all those years ago, I need to find something that kind of scares me because I miss that. Like that's one of the things that I miss after I was done playing baseball was that, you know, going into like a sales meeting to pitch a, you know, where this client going to buy some advertising for me? Like, yeah, I mean, I wanted to do that because I'd make some money, but I wasn't passionate about it. And so, again, I mean, we all do different types of work. But I often really encourage people over the years when I've coached them and just talked to them, like, find something that matters enough to you that it scares you a little bit to go do it. Not in a, like, makes you stressed out, you can't sleep at night, you're throwing up kind of, but, like, that it matters enough that there's some nervous slash excited energy in you to go do it. Well, so one of the things that I talk about, because I think there is a difference between, like, that pressure and that what you're talking about is where are you rooted? So if you're rooted in scarcity or shame, right, and that's where you're entrenched, and then you try to take massive action. And then that's where, you know, like what we would hear in athletics world, burnout comes from. But if it's like, hey, look, here's pressure, we all have pressure, because when you have kids, you have pressure, right? Because if they're sick in the middle of the night, you're going, oh, my gosh, how can I help my child while they're sick? You know, yeah. whether it's a fever or they're throwing up and, you know, and we're trying to stay calm. That is tremendous pressure. I mean, that's yeah. what, right. I mean, that's our kids. It's like the most important thing on the planet. So True. this idea that we need, and I watch a lot of parents try to um, take away pressure and it's like, no, it's about how do they overcome these obstacles? Yeah. Right. How do they learn how to blow their own mind? Because isn't that what you're doing when you're out there playing baseball? Yeah, right? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And I do think, you know, it's so interesting about that because, yeah, right, like what is real pressure? I mean, we put pressure on ourselves for things when in reality, you know, a lot of the stuff that we do, it's not life or death, right? Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, the health of our children. It's, is this going to work out? Am I going to feel good about it or not? You know, and the crazy part is, again, in the moment when we fail or something doesn't go well, it's never all that exciting or fun. But in hindsight, a lot of times, it's not the only way that we learn. You can definitely learn through succeeding and having things go well. But oftentimes, <laughs> when we, oftentimes when we fall flat on our face, the thing about it is the reason why we learn so much, I think, from failure is because it gets our attention, right? Like, whoa, that sucked. Let me pay attention to what just happened here. And, and it forces us, I think, in a lot of ways to, um, you know, just take a look and reevaluate. Which is the growth mindset. Like if you can have a growth yeah. mindset and Carol Dweck was here up in Davis last year. And I asked her because all of her stuff and prior to that had been about the thoughts that we think. And I asked her, did she see any correlation in her research between thoughts and feelings? And, and you know, and definitely those negative feelings like shame and anger and frustration right. definitely correlate more with a fixed mindset yes. versus, you know, like love and compassion and, you know, positive emotions fixed more yep. with a growth mindset. Yeah. So that that becomes really important as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, this idea about the whole self, it's that vulnerability. Like if I fully let you see me, yeah. now you're going to have the ability to reject me yeah. for who I am versus if I only show you part of me, I can be like, well, see, you don't really know. That's just that's just the me being the difficult pain in the butt. Yeah, exactly. Right. If we we really bring our whole selves, we show our whole selves. We, you know, like the metaphor I often use in talking about authenticity and vulnerability is like lower the water line on the iceberg, mm -hmm. right? Then, I mean, we are essentially giving other people permission to potentially hurt us or reject us or break our hearts in whatever way. And that's part of the justification that we use in life, understandably in some ways, to hold back, to protect ourselves, you know, to sort of carry around that shield that we think is going to keep us safe and have people not mess with us. And you know, what I often say to people is like, look, no matter how big or thick the shield is, don't you get messed with sometimes anyway? And it's like, yeah. And then in, in a lot of cases, like we're not even mad we're at the other person or the situation. We're mad at ourselves. Oh, I let my guard down. Right. Like it's like, I shouldn't have done that in some weird way, as opposed to like, what if the goal really was more about, can I express and expose even more of who I am and not be so concerned about what the reaction or what, you know, might happen. Again, I'm not talking about, you know, and look, we all have to use our own judgment and discernment. I mean, I've been getting a lot of questions from people recently, understandably, about this in regards to what's going on in society right now and <laughs> with respect to the world that we live in and with respect to the Me Too movement. And, you know, what about how is this different for men and women and what do we when people do people feel safe and what's appropriate and it's like look there are a lot of layers to this and there's a lot of complexity and as mindful and aware as i try to be like i know my own experience i know what i've seen i know what i've researched i know what makes sense to me and at the same time i can't speak for other people's experiences specifically and know exactly what it's like for them and even with all the time and energy i've spent traveling around the country and even around the world in different environments, different work environments, different businesses, different companies. Like I'll always be the first to admit when I come in to speak to people inside of a, you know, an organization, like I don't know what it's like to work here. Mm -hmm. I don't, I know what I see. I know what I hear, but like, you know what it's like to be, I do know what it's like to be a human being though. And you know, 
the the paradox of like we're all really different and that's important to honor and appreciate and celebrate the diversity and at the same time paradoxically the further down below that waterline we go on the iceberg i think the more similar we become when i think it's about knowing like what are you like being authentic, right? Sh- mm-hmm. Fully showing up, bringing your whole self there, but also being aware of like what's information that is okay to share publicly, yes. And what information do you sh- do you do not share yep. privately? And that doesn't mean you're not bringing your whole self. Absolutely, right? It- Absolutely, right. And there are things. Look, I mean, just think in life, right? I mean, you have this podcast, this radio, the show you've had for years. I do. You know, you're out coaching and speaking and doing your work in the world. You can be really open and transparent about your own experience, about what's going on. And like, that doesn't mean you share all kinds of details and like about clients or about family or friends or, you know, I mean, there are certain things that are private. I mean, inside of businesses, when I'm working with leaders, one of the biggest challenges that business leaders face, and again, whatever kind of business they're running, and and you know this from your own company, your own business, or Mm -hmm. being involved with youth sports. And I mean, you got to, there are certain things that are you know, conversations and information that are only for certain people, mm-hmm. right? And and it's not appropriate. It's not, in some cases, ethical. In some cases, not even legal to share that information with other people. But like a perfect example of just a manager inside of any type of business, you know, who wants to have a close relationship with his or her employees on on their team. If they start sharing information out of turn with those employees, so again, let's just say you're my boss, you're my manager, and you tell me about something, something about someone else on the team that they shared with you in confidence, right? Mm-hmm. In the moment, I may be, oh, cool, you're giving me some inside information. Mm-hmm. I'm getting a little gossip. I'm appreciating that. I feel like I'm in the know. But what I've just done is, first of all, I have violated the trust with the other person, but I've also now... I'm going to start to wonder, does she do that with me too? Mm-hmm. Right? So you become less safe for me, right? And so the tricky part is, again, as a manager, can you be authentic and open, real, and at the same time, when someone asks you a question and you know the answer, but you know you can't share the answer with them, do you lie and say you don't know? Do you tell them when you really shouldn't? Or do you actually say, you know what? I actually can't share that with you, which is the most sort of honoring and respectful way to handle that, but it's not easy. It can be uncomfortable. It can be awkward. Well, and that that's also why we don't bring our whole self because it is uncomfortable and awkward, yes. right? When, you, when you're saying, I can't share that with you, you're respecting a boundary and exactly. you're saying no to somebody, right? Yes. Which is not going to necessarily, this other person is not going to really be pleased with you. And as a, me, no. as a former recovering approval whore, <laughs> the last thing I wanted on the planet, right? Exactly. Well, and it's and it's hard. A lot of times, I mean, look, we've all had this happen. We end up doing something or saying something or sharing something or divulging something, even though we know we shouldn't and it's not right and doesn't feel good, but it's that I don't want to upset the person or I don't want them to, right? Like we've all said yes and we meant no many times, right? Especially those of us who like approval. There's so many things in life and it's a challenge on a daily basis. You know, again, for all my years of talking about and really studying authenticity and looking at it in my own life, it's like, man, it's a practice. It's not like I'm an authentic person, like you get a t-shirt or something. It's really like 
you practice authenticity and and the best way to know and and sort of deepen your own sense my own sense of my authenticity is to notice when i'm not being authentic or when i do oh, i withheld something there oh i didn't really wasn't fully present or engaged with that person or oh, i got nervous or i was trying to impress them or whatever not to be hypercritical of myself but just to notice oh that was interesting huh wonder what that was about right to get curious about our own process because that continues to lead us down. That's that growth mindset, that curiosity, that wanting to learn and grow and develop, not trying to master a skill so that, okay, now I put that in my bag, I got authenticity down because it's not a thing like that. Well, and I think that's, you know, everybody, I always tell my clients um, and anybody who's trying to work with me, I go, I am not the fairy godmother right? It's not bippity boppity boop. And here you are. And you now get to be authentic. It's you have to I mean, you know, you being a baseball player at the level you were me to be a competitive swimmer, we still showed up and we practice and I know there were days I would dive in the water go, Oh, my gosh, I can't swim. You know, and again, to the non swimmer, they'd be like, of course, you could swim. Now, my coach may say that you absolutely suck. And I may say, Oh, my gosh, and the clock is saying, Yeah, you're you're so off for off your times. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But that's part of the process being an athlete, right? You may yes. not be able to throw the ball one day compared to the next day. So, you know, we, yeah. we've had that fortunate experience as athletes. And sometimes I think we forget about that in life. And I know I did. It was like, oh, I've achieved this level of success as yes. an athlete. So now I figured out this golden path and I'm not going to have any problems. And it's like, oh, no. <laughs> right. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting you bring that up on a number of levels because I think, first of all, I'm mindful of the fact, I mean, I appreciate all the things I learned from sports. Um, although I do also think that those of us as former athletes, sometimes we can be a little elitist and obnoxious about it, right? Like to the athlete versus the non-athlete and right. There's that piece, but also I think there's, there's some of it can, there, there was some dark side to it as well. Right. I mean, and I still, all these years later, you know, I'm 44 years old. I got hurt when I was 23 and finally retired from baseball at 25. So it's been close to 20 years since I competed. Um, but it's like, it's still in me. And again, the, the positive side is like, I know how to like pick myself up and keep going and really get the, the negative side is like, sometimes as my wife says, like, you got to just stop. Do you know what I mean? She calls me like a dog on a chew toy. It's like, I won't give up because I have that sort of tenacious competitive spirit in me that I learned and got trained as an athlete. And sometimes in life, it's actually okay to stop and go, you know what? I'm going to not do that anymore, or I'm not very good at that, or I don't like that, or that's not working, or whatever. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So it's it's an interesting balance, I think, sometimes. And then there's different sports, because I have to say, like, with swimming, and I dated a swimmer in college, and I think you and I talked about this, mm-hmm. so much respect and appreciation for the intensity and the training of swimming and the focus of it, and the, like, you literally, it's the clock, it's a time. You know, in baseball, I mean, you can be really good and really talented and it kind of doesn't work out or you can be not as talented, but it's like there's a lot of other sort of weird factors at play. Whereas with swimming, it's literally a black and white thing like, nope, sorry, you're not fast enough. Done. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? (laughs) But the thing I like about swimming is that and again, for, you know, I mean, for any level, even for like the little kids, is that swimming becomes a mirror for kids, yes. for especially, I think it happens more about when they're teenagers or j- junior high school, but and on, yep. is swimming is a mirror for what kids believe about themselves. Yeah. 
right? And in the beginning years when they're little and they're six or seven and they're like, I'm going to be the next Michael Phelps. And it's like, rock on with your bad self. Let's go. And their parents are like, oh my God, they're freaked out, right? But the kids totally brought their whole self. They get up there, they're swinging their arms and in their brain, they are Michael Phelps. They get out, they're happy, right? right? They don't know that there's this bigger world of swimming. Right. And then, you know, at some point you become more socially aware and you go, oh, well, maybe, <laughs> right. you know, and I'm not so good. And then you're so good at the compare and despair and, and so on. So that's yeah. where I like the sports aspects. And obviously you can, you know, people can get it from other areas. There's music, there's academics, you can have a sure. job, right? There's lots of different areas. Your my arena just happens to be sports. Yeah. Well, and one of the things about sports that I do think is great and those of us who have experience at whatever level of playing, there is an element of you learn how to fail. Talk about vulnerability, right? You put yourself out there, you jump in the pool, you get on the field, whatever sport it is, and you know there's the potential to win and succeed and have all of that wonderful attention and approval, but there's also more often than not, right, only one kid wins the race in the swim meet, mm-hmm. right? Only one team wins the championship in the baseball game. And even if that in that, there's a lot of different individual success or failure that happens along the way. And I actually now in hindsight look back and realize I appreciated learning how much I learned how to fail and to lose as much as I didn't really enjoy those experiences. They taught me a lot. And in life, you know, in business, there's just, you know, a parenting. I mean, there, there's a lot of what feels like, you know, losing and failing along the way of, of winning, so to speak. And that's just part of the process, you know. Um, and I think sometimes we forget that. Michelle, my wife and I will say to each other and I try to remind her and she tries to remind me when we get really frustrated or get just, you know, parenting is just so humbling. <laughs> right. Yes. And it's like, man, I, I gosh, I feel like I'm pretty good at things in life. Like, man, I am just not good at this right now. Like, that's how it feels. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And this is like the most important job that I have. And it's just really, really hard. And I don't know what's going on, you know. But again, it's like trying and trust that like our girls, just like every other child on the planet, is gonna, they're going to go through different stages and phases. And some of those stages and phases are going to be easier and some are going to be harder for us and for them and for the whole deal, you know. Yeah, no, I I think athletics, especially nowadays, and especially with the generation that we're working with, um, is so so critical because we talk. Everybody knows Carol Dweck and growth mindset, or you know, yep. my world is very familiar with it, right? Because I yes. preach it so well. Um, but kids aren't allowed to fail, right? If I mean, right now, right. kids in California are really upset because they've been rejected from the UCs. Right. And, you know, and they've had these, you know, 4.3s, 4.6s, you know, 1400 SATs, and they're not getting in. I mean, it's just in my community, it's been pretty detrimental in the last month. So yeah. you're not allowed to make mistakes, right? right? And so that's really scary as an employer, because now you're going to have somebody who's never made mistakes. How are they going to handle a mistake when they go off into the job world? Yeah, no kidding. Right? So if you don't have sports to learn how to fall down and overcome obstacles, not let obstacles define you, it's going to be a problem. Totally. Well, and you know, it's, and I think what's interesting, if you think about this for all of us, right, in life, whether it's parenting, whether it's with our businesses or our careers or the work that we do, our relationships, I mean, all the things that matter, it's like, what if we could reframe how we think about failing mm-hmm. right because i think there's a notion look and it's not i mean i do agree and i think the way that we're 
the kids are being raised and trained for better or worse, um, you know, there's a lot less uh, failure that happens and that gets celebrated, right? The idea is we're trying to sort of protect them from that, which doesn't ultimately serve them. But I think, again, as a culture, there seems to be that pervasive notion sort of across the board. And I, again, I see this, I mean, this does show up. I mean, you think about it, it's like millennials, the oldest millennials are now, you know, in their mid thirties, mid to even late thirties. So we're not talking about kids, you know, but the interesting thing, again, the way that we've, it makes sense just in terms of how the pendulum has swung over, you know, a number of years in terms of how we're raising our kids. I think the whole reason why some of this has happened is like, look, some of us were raised and definitely people who are much older than us were raised with a lot of shame, Mm -hmm. with a lot of like, you know, you're bad, you're wrong, you lost, you're terrible. And then we, we realized, oh my gosh, we're damaging everybody. Let's stop doing that. So we swung the pendulum back the other way and we're like, okay, everybody gets a trophy, <laughs> right? Nobody's going to feel left out. Nobody's going to feel bad. Everyone makes the team. Everyone gets to participate. And it's like, okay, there's somewhere in the middle of that. The distinction that I make, and this shows up in the business world a lot these days. Again, it's not school. It's not youth swimming or baseball or anything, but it's like, the distinction between recognition and appreciation, which I talk about and bring your whole self to work, right? And this recognition is about performance. It's about what the outcome. It's about what people do. Appreciation is about people. It's about their value as human beings. And so when people in businesses, teams understand this, leaders understand this, we even understand this in our own minds, recognition is about performance. So if I do a good job, a great job, hopefully I'll be recognized in some way, formally or informally. Because if I'm not, then it's kind of demotivating, it's frustrating. It's Even if you have your own business, if, if you have some kind of goal or something you accomplish, it's important to celebrate that in some way to recognize this happened. However, appreciation is about people and their value. It's about who we are. And that's important all the time, whether we win or lose, whether we succeed or fail. And what happens, I think, in our competitive world, especially professionally, there's a lot of focus on recognition, not nearly as much focus on appreciation. So what I try to do and work with my clients and the teams and organizations I work with is to separate those two things out. So we recognize people when they deserve it. Absolutely. And then if someone's not really succeeding or they're failing, hopefully we give them some support and some coaching. We can help kind of turn that around. We don't want to, you know, celebrate the failure and you know, sugarcoat that it's going, no, it's not going well. We need to work on that. But on the other side of things with appreciation, we focus on appreciating and valuing people all the time. And that means focusing on who they are as human beings, paying attention to what we appreciate and value about them as people, not simply just, right, reacting to the performance. I mean, because I, this, some of this even stems from my early experience as an athlete. I watched that sometimes and often the better players got treated like they were better people. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, because I was one of the best players all the way growing up, but I remember thinking, like, that's actually not fair and that's not cool. Because even though I might be a better baseball player than this other kid that I'm playing with when I'm 12 years old or whatever, like, I'm not a better person than he is. That's ridiculous. You know what I mean? And, and as silly as that sounds, it's like, again, this happens to the, the top salesperson in the organization or the, you know, the person that's like the top engineer and really that we need that. Per- like, yes, I understand that for the success of the organization, this is the real world. There are certain people that are more valuable to the organization than other people in terms of the skills that they bring, in terms of the you know relationships that they have, in terms of all that. So, yes, that's why not everybody makes the same amount of money, <laughs> right? It's not an equal system. However, 
the CEO of the company, the top producing salesperson, the you know head engineer, whatever, those they're not better human beings and more important human beings than somebody who just graduated from college or is a summer intern or just started three weeks ago or does some administrative job that is an individual contrib- You know what I mean? I'm like, but that's really important for the health of any team or organization that we get that people are inherently just as valuable as each other as people. And then certain roles and certain positions and certain outcomes are more important to get recognized more than others, but that we can coexist in that continuum, if that makes sense. Well, it totally makes sense. And I think it's the realizing that we are all connected. Yep. And so, you know, it's, you know, even that person, whether it's the CEO or, you know, whoever the top notch person is, maybe they're the CFO and they've got a team below them, mm-hmm. right? It's that team below them that allows them to do their job. So they're not Absolutely. a better person. And I remember, but they're, but you're right in athletics, because I remember my sophomore year, I was at the NC2As and I finaled for the first time that year. And mm. and um, some of the men had this kind of elitist attitude, like we're just so much better than the women and stuff. And uh, I, I didn't yes. really like that. And I remember like, because I made finals, one of the dads was like, oh, well, now I recognize you. Now I see yeah. you. And, mm. you know, that has always you know, it's, I never want to be evaluated by what I've accomplished. It's more about right. like what you talk about. I want, you know, here's my whole self. Here's all of it, yes. right? There's some great things and I've got some great strengths and I've got flaws, but here's all of me. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Well, and to see, yeah, to see you not for what you've done, but for who you are. You know, there's a, a story that I share often when I'm speaking and I, I did put it in this book because I think it's it's just a poignant example. It's, it's actually a, a story that Oprah tells that I've heard her when she speaks about this, talking about all the interviews she's done over all the years and, you know, presidents and prime ministers and celebrities and you name it, she's interviewed them. And she says, you know, after all these years and all these interviews, she said, just about everybody asks me some version of the same question when the interview's over. She said, the interview's over, the camera shuts off, they lean over and they say, how'd I do? Or was that okay? Some version of that question, right? Was that okay or how did I do it, right? And she said, you know, early in her career, she used to be really confused by this question because she'd be sitting across from someone who's very successful and accomplished and she'd be wondering like, are they really that insecure? Like, do they really need my validation? Why are they asking me? Was that okay or how they did? I don't get it. And then she said, then I finally realized something. They're not actually asking me how they did. What they're really asking me is, did you see me? Did you hear me? Did what I say matter to you? And she says, and I agree with her, everybody's asking those questions all the time. I mean, it's look, sometimes we are feeling really, really insecure and doubtful and we do sort of needy of that validation. Sometimes we may actually be feeling really confident, but either, uh, wherever we are on that continuum, we still want to be seen and we want to be heard and we want to know not just what we say, but who we are matters. You know, like in that case, not just because you finaled that all of a sudden one of the dads is like, oh, okay, great. Now I'll talk to you and you're cool. It's like, wait a minute, what? No, I was the same person before this happened. I want to be valued and seen for that. And that's tricky a lot of times in today's world for a variety of reasons. And the hierarchy of the way things go inside of most businesses, people are busy. There's a lot going on. We're filtering things out. Like we do this a lot of times unconsciously. Like have you ever been at a party and someone's talking to you, but you can, you have that sense they're kind of looking around to see if like there's someone more interesting or more important than you to talk to. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> it feels awful, right? But, on the, but, but I'll be honest, right? I've done that before too. I don't like to, it's not my intention, but every now and again, I'll be like, okay, I'm there. Or, you know, or it's more not even that I'm like, who's more important? It's like, I'm talking to someone, it's a thing, but I'm looking for someone else or like, they're not really the person, you know, and I'm trying not to be a jerk, but it's like, wow, 
whoa, check myself, like be present in the moment or at least acknowledge like, I'm so sorry, I'm distracted. I'm looking to go see so-and-so or whatever the case may be. So sometimes even just in a social situation, that'll happen. But that tends to happen in life. And as you were talking about earlier, sometimes our desire for success, quote unquote, if it's coming from that place, as you talked about, of shame or of mm -hmm. scarcity, right? There's not enough or I'm not good enough. I'm going to try to have some success, get myself to a certain level. Then people will pay attention to me. Then people will respect me and take me seriously. Look, I've been bumping up right against that in my own life with my own work just in the last few months and seeing it again in a new way. It's like, man, I've been doing this 17 years. I've written three books. I got this book coming out. And it's like, whoa, I'm catching that little voice in my head. It's like, okay, man, if this book really takes off and you go, then every, okay, this person and that person, this other person who blew you off, they probably won't blow you off anymore. And I'm like, wait, wait, time out. Hold on. What is that? Like, where is that coming from? Oh, it's coming from that place in me that's insecure, that place in me that, right? A, a, a counselor of mine years ago said to me, Mike, the child in you that still lives in you, right, is constantly asking, am I getting enough, right? Am I getting enough? It's like the thing about children, right? It's not mm -hmm. fair, it's not fair, it's not fair. So the adolescent in you is asking, am I good enough, right? Adolescence is a lot about, right, comparison and am I good enough and oh, look at her, look at him, oh, she's prettier than me, oh, he's better than me, that she's, she's smarter, all that. And then he said, and the young adult in you is asking, am I doing enough, right? He said, so am I getting enough, child? Am I good enough, adolescent, young adult? Am I doing enough? And he said, the adult, the wise adult, the sort of spiritual adult in you that says, yes, 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 you're getting enough. Yes, you're good enough. Yes, you're doing enough. Just relax. Well, it's, it's going back to like, I am enough. I'm doing enough and I am yep. enough. Yep. Right? And, that, and that's a totally vulnerable thing to say because it's like, well, am I? But what if I'm not right. working hard or what if I'm taking this time? But really looking and being honest with yourself and being honest when it's like, okay, you know, and I, I, it's so funny. I call myself a sloth. And I had a friend, <laughs> one of my, my personal trainer, and I'm like, look, I'm a sloth. And he was like, I go, no, I'm a sloth. Like, I just own it. I don't really like to move, you know, and he's like, but you're the, and I was like, I don't really like to move. I do it because I know it makes me feel better and it's better for yes. my back, but I don't, you know, I don't really like pain, but I, I just own it. And, yeah. and so, but there are times for me to go and move and, and work and make, you know, work my body hard, whatever. And then there are just times typically in the evening where I'm just done. I come yeah. home and I'm done and I'm in my bed and I'm a sloth and yeah. that is okay. Right. right. And, and really being honest about that and checking in with like, okay, am I living in with my own integrity? Right. Well, and it's also acceptance of that. You know, it's funny. I mean, I was just talking about Oprah. I have sometimes in the mornings when I'm exercising, I'll just randomly like type something into YouTube looking for like a video that might inspire me or something I can watch or listen to while I'm you know, exercising. And this morning, I can't even remember what I typed in, but a video popped up from like 10 years ago of Oprah interviewing Eckhart Tolle. And anyway, I watched it for like 10 or 15 minutes. But part of the conversation was she'd been talking to Eckhart about his book, A New Earth, that was new at the time. And she was doing this big online class and it was a thing but that she got sick over the weekend. And because of some of the stuff she'd been learning from Eckhart, she just allowed herself to embrace being sick and just be with it instead of fight it and resist it. And she said, you know, on Saturday, I was like miserably ill and I was really happy because I wasn't resisting being sick. I just let myself be sick. And I was just like, wow, that's interesting. Do you know what I mean? Like to embrace yeah. that and not fight against it because that's often what creates a lot of the 
you know, stress and tension within us is resisting what is. Well, you know, back in the day, I used to run, especially when, you know, and I had high aspirations for my swimming and, and I achieved yeah. a lot of that stuff. So, you know, I knew what it took to put 120% in, but you know, I'm a middle-aged yep. woman now and, you know, and I have back problems and stuff. So I'm not, I could sit here and say, oh, I should be running. And I have friends that run the marathon. I'm like, no, yeah. that is not what I do. It, right. You know, it's not what I do. There's certain things that I do and I will go and I'll do that. And then I like to be a sloth. Like yes. I just own it and it stuns people. But again, it's like when you talk about that whole self, it's like, here's all of me. And yes. I love the fact that you say something. And I, and I think you said this is being a former athlete, because one of the things that people do to me all the time, you know, I'm 45, I'm almost 46. I haven't been an mm. athlete since I was 21 years old. Right. right. People say, oh, you're a swimmer. Are you? Oh, you're. Well, they never say, oh, you're an athlete because we're kind of, I'm a land dork. I fell this morning. So, you know, but you're a yes. swimmer. And I'm like, well, no, I've actually been not a swimmer longer than I was a swimmer, you know, at this right, point in my right. life. You know, I swam. Right. I was once a swimmer, but I'm a coach yes. now. I'm not an athlete. You know, yes. I, I was an athlete at one point in my life. And it's yep. that like identification. It's for me, it's like, okay, I, I did my thing. I had my, you know, there were some great things that occurred in my career and there's some heartbreaks that occurred in my career. But overall, like I was really happy with it. Yeah. Right. And now I'm a middle-aged woman and that's what I am. And, you know, I yeah. want to stay in good health uh, just for longevity's sake. And I want to be out of pain with my back. And those are my goals now, right? right. Not to, you know, and, and I have friends that just ran the Boston Marathon. I think that's fantastic for them. I'm so happy as long as they don't make me go do it. Right. Right. Well, and, you know, I think there's so much in what you just said that I think is important because one of the things, and I know you talk about this, you touched on it earlier, and I'm sure as you're coaching people and speaking and working with people, it's like, the trap of comparison that we can get ourselves into, right? About even things related to our physical abilities. You know, I, I went to um, a workshop in the fall and one of the things they were talking about, we're talking about self-compassion and talking about how critical so many of us are about our bodies, mm -hmm. right? About how our bodies look and how they function and the size and the shape and all these different, right? And, and they were talking about that, like the research shows that more than 80% of how we are physically is genetic. And do you know what I mean? In terms of how we look, in terms of, right, there are things, and yeah, our lifestyle and what we do and do we exercise and how do we eat, that's going to, but for the most part, do you know, it's like, man, I really wish I were six foot four, but I'm not. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, that's kind of a silly thing to be upset about if I am, but it, but it makes sense, right? But it's like, okay, I'm six feet tall and, you know, it is what it is. And, but sometimes that's how we are even again in resisting aging and all the mm -hmm. different aspects. But then is that, as that even relates to work, one of the things that I find that we don't often talk about that I think is really valuable to talk about is the ways in which that we sometimes compare ourselves or get jealous of each other, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and why is that relevant? Because I think what ends up happening is we make a lot of assumptions about people. We have a lot of judgments and criticisms of ourselves or of others. There's so much stuff that goes on in the unsaid. Now, I'm not necessarily, when I advocate for authenticity and vulnerability, I'm not saying like share everything in your head all the time. And, you know, there was, I mean, speaking of sports and I'm a huge basketball fan, so there was just a thing that happened not that long ago where Charles Barkley, who often just says what's on his mind in a way that offends people, said something about Draymond Green, who plays for the Golden State Warriors, who's a team that I love and, and root for. And they're really good. And at one point it was the halftime and they came to it and Draymond had got into an argument with one of the guys on the other team and they cut to the you know studio and, and Charles Barkley says, 
someone should just punch him in the face, right? And then they started this whole conversation and it turned into this controversy and people got all offended and upset about it and blah, blah, blah. But I was watching some of the media reports after the fact the next day and somebody was saying, look, sometimes you think things in your head, but you don't go on television and say them out loud because they're offensive or they're rude or they're disrespectful or whatever. And so, you know, that's also where it comes to an, an element of discernment that we don't have to say everything. At the same time, though, I think that sometimes what can happen, again, on a team, you'll have people, and instead of us respecting and appreciating and really honoring both the difference and the skills and talents that people have, if I'm jealous of some skill or ability that you have that it doesn't seem like I have, one of the best things that I can do with that is actually to acknowledge it. Wow, I really admire your ability to do X, right? You know how to get this done and you do it so beautifully and it's like, that's really hard for me. Could I learn from you? Could you help me? Instead of the like feeling inferior or then now I'm going to find something about you that I don't like to judge you and make you wrong, to make me feel less jealous or whatever the heck, you know what I mean? All the crazy stuff that we do as human beings, if we're willing to actually be vulnerable and own up to that stuff, it's amazing what can happen. Well, and I, but I think that's what it is. It is about being vulnerable, right? Like it's so easy. You can, you can judge other people. That's not vulnerability. No. Right. That's in, just, in fact, it's protection from mm-hmm. it. A lot of times the judgment is right. I judge that person cause I'm afraid maybe I'm like that or they're different than me. And if I, or whatever, it's just easier to go to that place of judgment than it is to really get honest with ourselves of what is it about that person that either scares me or I get upset about or I don't understand. So therefore, I'm just going to say to you, you know what, he's a jerk. And you go, yeah, I know. And then we like go out to lunch and talk about him instead of really look into what, oh gosh, you know what, he reminds me of my stepfather and it kind of upsets me and I don't really like that. Mm -hmm. So it's just easier to say he's just a jerk. Well, and the other side is that judgment is just rooted in shame, right? Yes. And so, you know, and whether it's our stepfather or it's the things that we we typically judge others and the things that we don't like about ourselves, but we're not even exactly. willing to own. Exactly. And so, yeah, the judgment of others is 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 such a great piece of armor versus, I mean, something that you said earlier, this idea of bringing our whole self and then knowing, you know, like when we were talking about what's okay to share and what's not okay to share is that it's either we can be totally judgmental and have all this armor and push something out there, or we can be totally nice over here, right? Like it's this either or. Right. And the thing that becomes really hard is in the, I call it the areas of gray, right? If it's black and white is really easy to see, but that areas of yep. gray and knowing like, ooh, did I, did I just violate trust by telling Mike some story? Right? right. And it's like, oh, I need to circle back and say, you know what? I was really wrong to do that, which is being vulnerable. Yes, absolutely. Well, and, and the thing about it is, right, because w- one of the ways that I've seen this play out and I, I, you know, my definition for authenticity is it's about honesty, but we have to remove something from our honesty and add something to our honesty. So it, we remove our self-righteousness. Self-righteousness being like, I'm right, you're wrong, right? It's filled mm-hmm. with judgment, it's rooted in shame. It's that, it's, it's the I'm right, you're wrong, shut up, which is the world we're in right now. If you look out at the world, right? It's, and it's not to say take away opinions or passions or commitments or conviction, right? You can be convicted about something. When I'm convicted about saying I believe it to be true, I'm willing to speak up, I'm even willing to challenge someone 
debate someone about it, but at the same time, I have enough humility, enough self-awareness, enough emotional intelligence for me to be able to realize I might be wrong, or at, at the very least, there might be another way to look at this thing. And then the thing we have to add to our honesty, so we remove the self-righteousness from our honesty, and then we add something you and I've been talking about quite a bit throughout this whole conversation is vulnerability. And if we add vulnerability and remove self-righteousness and we're courageous enough to be honest, we put all that together, that actually gets us to a place of authenticity. But it's not that easy because A, as we've been talking about, vulnerability takes a lot of courage. And B, removing the self-righteousness, right, which is removing that armor, so to speak, that protection and getting more into that place of, oh, can I be honest without being righteous and judgmental? Sometimes it's tricky because it is gray. It's not black and white. It's not either or. It's kind of in that place of uncertainty and, well, I don't really know, right? But think about, you know, the conversations that we've had with people over the years where we've really been able to work stuff out. You know, it's, I had another mentor of mine say this great thing to me. He said, Mike, what stands between you and the kind of relationships you really want to have with people is usually a 10-minute sweaty-palmed conversation that you're too afraid to have, he said, if you get good at those 10-minute sweaty-palmed conversations, you'll have fantastic relationships. He said, but if you do like most of us and you avoid them because they're uncomfortable and they can get messy, then you'll just sort of be a victim of who you live with and work with and, you know, when stuff comes up. Yeah, it's that vulnerability. But, you know, when you're talking about courage and stuff, and I mean, bravery is one of my, uh, I was very reluctant, but it's my top value. Mm. And, and it makes sense, you know, being an athlete, having a radio yep. show, especially when it was live radio, right? I yes. had to be really courageous because that same feeling that I would have when be up on the blocks that have live radio, I have it yeah, still now sure. podcast, but um, <laughs> running my own business. So it's like, I, I have to be brave all the time, being a parent, being a wife, I'm, I'm brave, yes. um, especially if I'm willing to say the hard things, right? Yeah. And in my leadership style is very much willing to say the hard things. And, um, but the other side of it, Mike, is that, you know, once you get past that initial fear and that initial vulnerability and you go and do it again, you have to be aligned with your own integrity and your values, right? It's yep. not just to blast somebody. Mm. It feels pretty damn cool on the other side of it when you're like, I did that. It does. It does. And like anything, right? I mean, think anything that we do that takes a lot of courage to do that we have to be brave for, the act of doing it, even if we fail, which is not as much fun, obviously, as succeeding, but it's just, I did it. I, I, especially if we do it and it goes well, it's like, wow, that took some courage. That was not easy. I had to really, you know, dig deep in order to, right? And it worked out and I survived and like, wow, that's pretty cool, right? I mean, that's the way we build the muscle, right? Is that we, is we consistently choose courage. We choose to be brave, right? And at the same time, I also think have compassion for ourselves when we don't. There are times, like I was in New York a few weeks ago, and I had a couple different meetings. And at, actually, the meetings all went really well. And the final meeting of the day that I had, this meeting with this guy was kind of a big deal. And I was, you know, and, and at the end of it, right at the very end of the meeting, I did this weird thing. And I said this weird thing. And I got awkward. It, I don't know what the hell happened. It just, and it wasn't terrible. It wasn't like I, you know, did made some, I just, it was strange. And I left the meeting and like, why did I say that? Why did I do that? That was weird. I just got nervous at the last, I don't know. And I was kind of in my head about it. And I talked to Meredith, who's on my team. I called her up and was just sort of debriefing. And she was like, well, you could just say something, you know, like if it's really bothering you. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess I could. So I like literally it was like on the plane, you know, and I just sent an email and I'm like, hey man, I know it was a little weird at the end of that meeting. Like what? I'm sorry. You know, 
And it of course to him, like it was what no big deal. But the funny part is, again, like we do that oftentimes to ourselves in our own minds, right? And like when we are putting ourselves out there, bringing our whole selves to work, <clears throat> not only are we going to probably fail sometimes, you know, weird things are going to happen. And there's also going to be times, even in a commitment that we might have to be authentic, to be bold, to be courageous, there's still going to be some times when we're not. You know, and I know you, you asked me about this before we even in, hit record, but there's a practice that I talk about in the book that, I, so for many years I've been keeping a gratitude journal, uh -huh. right? Like yep. Oprah's been telling us, keep a gratitude journal. You know, I think she had Sarah Bunbronick who wrote uh -huh. the abundance book on, you know, back in the nineties and she got all excited. And so, so I've been keeping a gratitude journal for years and it's been really important. And about a year ago I started in addition to my, you know, usually three to five things I'd write down, try to do it almost every day that I'm grateful for. And that I noticed I actually continue to do that, but I now write down three things that I'm grateful for from the day and three things that I forgive myself for from the day. Because I notice that for me, and I know I'm not the only one, <laughs> I have a tendency to be hard on myself, to be critical of myself. It's something that I've been aware of for many years. It's something that I've done a lot of work on and it still shows up as a pattern, as a protection thing, as a like vigilance, like keeps me focused kind of, you know, that's that's some of what I think, and I'm not blaming any coaches or anything, but part of what I learned as a kid growing up in my house and part of what you know, kept me focused in what I figured or thought was a positive direction was be really hard on myself, be really critical of myself. That'll keep me out of trouble. And you know, maybe in some ways it did early on, but it's not, it doesn't work. It's not healthy and sustainable. I know that. That being said, like a lot of things in life, the more we practice, the better we get. So it's like I've noticed myself over the last year not that my self-criticism has magically vanished completely, but I have a tendency to be a little kinder, a little gentler, a little more compassionate with myself because I realize that more often than not, you know, most of the time my intention is really good. It's just I fall short or I do something or say something that I wish I hadn't. And, you know, I think any, for all of us, an ability to be more kind and forgiving of ourselves is really important. Absolutely. That, that is very, very key. And again, it's counter the messages that we grew up with, right? Because it was yes. like, let's just be, you know, be hard on yourself, be hard on yourself. And then I'm sure you had plenty of coaches that, you know, it's like, let me just shame you because yes. it's a great motivational tool. It's just yeah, not, in, it's not sustainable. No, in the short term. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, look, it's like, it's awful, but it's like, I'll, you know, in my lowest moments as a parent, I look at Michelle, I'm like, can I just shame them? Can I just swear <laughs> at them? Can I just yell at them? Just like, you know, I know we said no spanking, but it's like, and I, all these things that will come to me and it's like, okay, I know I'm not going to do that. And I'm so grateful that she's there mm -hmm. to like talk me off the ledge because I could easily, and, and there are moments of course that I do that even with my best intention. It's like, I realize in hindsight, it's like, oh man, that was kind of nasty and shaming and what you know and and to have the ability even with my children my my girls who were still you know pretty young at 12 and 9 but even when they were younger to come back and say hey you know what daddy just did something that he's not proud of and i'm really sorry about that mm -hmm. you know because i think again that's life and that's relationships and you know bringing our whole selves to work look it can and will get messy at times and you know when we choose to have relationships like that and really speak from our heart and really bring ourselves, you know, it doesn't mean that it's all going to be smooth sailing, but what it does mean is there's a commitment to something bigger and something deeper than simply just having everybody like us and trying not to get in trouble and hoping that things turn out well. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> I, the beauty in the mess is just so important, right? And again, yeah. that's that growth mindset that we've talked about. Yeah. Mike, I want to thank you so much for taking the time because I know this has been a busy week for you with the launch of your new book. It's been so yes. fun to reconnect with you and, and sh- talk about these kinds of things. It's always my favorite stuff. Oh, well, you're absolutely welcome. Thanks for having me on and thanks for the work that you're doing in your great show. It's an honor to be back on. Thank you. What are you thinking now about bringing your whole self to work? And not just to work. Like we talked about our lives. We talked about parenting. Work is one arena, but bringing your whole self, it is risky because people see all of you. And again, there's a clear, I want to clarify It's not that you are telling people your most vulnerable things because you share your story with people who've earned the right to hear it. And thinking about when you go to work, what are the stories you're willing to talk about? Maybe you're not going to talk about some of the stuff of difficulties that you're facing in your family. Maybe you're having a hard time in your marriage. Maybe there's somebody that's dealing with a substance abuse problem. Maybe your child uh, is got some unknown illness. So maybe that's not what you're, you're going to totally dive into and share because maybe they haven't earned the right to hear that story and they're not trustworthy in that aspect. But you can show other parts. You can discuss your opinions about this project that you're working on with the idea and building a container that it is okay to fully show up, to disagree and to rumble through it so that we can create and be innovative and create solutions for our workplaces instead of everybody being passive and letting things get rubber stamped because we're so afraid to say, hmm, I actually don't want that thing to go through, or I'm not sure that this is a good idea. And it goes back to, I always reference this when I'm talking with friends, but there's that whole, remember, I think it's just a, I remember it being a book that I had as a kid, but the emperor who wears no clothes and everybody's on the sideline going, oh yeah, he looks so amazing. Look at those clothes and he's naked, but everybody is too afraid. They're all in shame to say anything. And do you want to live your life like that where it's like, oh, I'm just going to say what everybody else is saying because I don't want to be that person. And what if I'm wrong? What if the emperor really is wearing clothes, but I don't see any clothes? And I think we need to do that in our own lives. I don't think I know we need to do that because when we don't bring our whole self, there's a huge cost to us. And when you can bring your whole self, it it allows people to know who you are. So for an example of this is that, you know, my families that know me on the aqua monsters, you know, I, there are days like today where I'm still in my workout gear, my hair's in a ponytail, I have a baseball hat on and I'll have one of my favorite sweatshirts. It's kind of raggedy, but I love it. It's my favorite. It feels so good. And um, they don't make it anymore. It's one of our team sweatshirts. And I've talked to my guy who uh, clothes us and I was like, I need this sweatshirt. It's my favorite. And he looks at me, just always shakes his head, but I love it. You know, the, the wrists are all cut up, but that's me bringing my whole self. And that's an environment where it does not matter of what I look like, especially when the little kids I coach don't care, you know, they're just there. They don't even notice actually that they're more fascinated with other things. And for me, it's about staying warm and being comfortable. And so I bring my whole self and the more and more that I brought my whole self, the less energy that I've had to expend on the facade of who I thought I was supposed to be. And remember I talked with Mike and I said, I was, I'm a recovering approval whore. I spent so much time only like being this chameleon and like, Oh, let me put this self out because this is one that you approve. Oh, let me put this self out. Then I had to think like, okay, which part of me do I put out there? 
And so now it's like, this is all of me. And this is how I show up. And it is a lot more freeing. Now, I do have a line of haters. So know that that is the risk that you have. But the beauty is, is that they're not too fond of me. They go off and find their own people. And I have more space in my life as well. And I know who are my people and who are like, Corinne, you're ridiculous. And that's okay. Now I've had a lot, do a lot of work personally to get here. So I'm not saying that's easy and I'm not saying, oh, yay, people don't like me. But I just realized that that's okay. We're, we're pieces of a puzzle and we're not all supposed to fit. And there's other people out there for them that they can spend and have great times together. And I'm just not the right one for them. And so I've had to really do a lot of work personally to get to this place because, you know, when you're an approval whore, that's not happening. You want everybody to like you. And that's what I wanted to do. And I was hustling so hard. I was exhausted. And here's the cost to me. My self-hatred was high. Versus when I bring my whole self and I accept who I am, and like Mike, I love his whole technique of self-forgiveness and writing that down. What do I forgive myself? Because, right, we can be really hard on ourselves. But when we can forgive ourselves and say, okay, owning our story, learning from it, going, okay, what do I want to do now going forward? That part becomes so, so important in our own growth. So I want to thank you so much for listening today. It was fantastic to have Mike on the show. It's now your turn. Go to the show notes link and click on the iTunes button and leave a review for this show. Your reviews not only speak to me because I get to read what you say and I want to hear your voice because what you say does matter. It also matters to other people because they get to read what you get of value from listening to the show and the way the iTunes thing works, which I don't really understand. It helps promote the show within their whole algorithm thing. But what you say matters. I'm here to listen. And there are other people that will read your comments because think about it. We're so trained now, right? We go to buy something from Amazon. Let me look through the reviews. So I can't wait to hear what you have to say for the show. The link is in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening today and leaving an iTunes review. Until next time, I'm smiling big for you. She is drifting, never been so wild.